0: Amen. Amen. You know, um, as you take your seats, I just want to speak into that just a moment before we get into the specific word from Colossians. Um, Just as an older woman in the faith here, and I realize I am part of the upper age crew in the room, so I'm embracing that, but... You know with that comes lots of life experience and lots of years going through workouts and showing up and all of that and I certainly have not arrived in fact as I told you I still am aware that I am behind the learning curve but if I was ever given the chance to share just one thing with women who are younger than me it would be you plant your feet in the goodness of God and you do not move that. That truth Growing up in my life, getting built up in my life, became a decision early on at 29 when I walked into this new revelation of walking with Jesus and what that looked like. And it has carried me through thing after thing after thing. And a woman taught me, KR, some of you may have done her Bible studies before. It's not like I sat down with her and had coffee and she taught me, but I was actually cleaning a bathroom one day at a house that I used to clean whole wow, house is pink and I love pink but it was a bit much but this pink sink and I was just I was listening to it It wasn't a podcast and I don't even know what it was already radio or something and I um, was just scrubbing the sink and I was looking in the mirror because I was so down and she started talking and she said because I dealt with a lot of depression and she said despair is the last step before you fall into the pit of if you never allow your foot to step into a place of despair you will never fall into the pit of depression and despair is when you do not believe in the goodness of god and that day i made a decision that i will never despair again because my god is good situations may not look good but god is good and so there are many times that i put my foot right there And I am about to step into the place of despair, but there is enough of the word in my life now that has been built up and strong that I can say I believe in the goodness of God. And I have never fallen into the pit of depression again since that day. And I had struggled deeply with it before, and I know a lot of women do, but I think that is the key believing in the goodness of God. You will not turn away from it. You do not take your foot out of that place. You do not step into despair, no matter what happens. A story as deeply hurtful as what Rachel just shared. And I'm sure that many of us, including myself, could share many, many stories of things where it just feels like God is not good. But that's where you don't rust on your feelings you don't rest on what you think. You don't rest on what you'd like to do because it hurts so bad. No, you can your feet, and you say, God is good. I may not be able in my fleshly mind to understand how God could be good and this could be happening at the same time, but God is good no matter what. And I guarantee you, looking back, you will be able to see his goodness later on. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's part of being on Team Life. So that was free. I wasn't planning on sharing that, but it just really rose up in my heart as we were um, singing that song. And Rachel, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that testimony with us. And we're just going to rejoice to see what God's going to do in your life. Amen. 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 It's the Lord, right? Because God is good. He is good. Right. All the time. Yes. So it's another beautiful day at Fall by Getaway. I always just love it when the sun's out and all of that happening, in, and you know, I love every one of the days that we have here, and the more we've done Fall up Getaway, they each kind of start to have a very distinct feel to them, and if you've been here multiple times, you you know what that feels like. I mean, one of the distinctions is usually on Saturdays, we get the jerseys, or we get the whatever, and I do love the jerseys and it. You, you look like you got your team uniforms on, right? <laughs> so it's really cool. And I think that these jerseys are going to, as you wear them out and about in your life, people are gonna go, what's team life? Oh, let me tell you about this team that I'm on. You could be on too, right? So, anyway, loving the jerseys, loving seeing you in them, and also um, all that comes with that. But, you know, Saturdays are also a time that I have come to see as I watch Fall Bobble Getaway happen, you know, each and every year, that it's a day where a lot of people start to get some breakthrough. It's a day where a lot of people start to really get confidence and direction for what God's speaking to them. And also a day where a lot of deeper connection happens in the room. Like when you guys came in on Thursday, you know, everybody's like, ah, and yesterday there was a deeper sense of connection. But usually on, on Saturday it's like, just whatever, just know me for all that I am and I want to know you. And there's just this beautiful bond that just really just rises up. And it's just amazing what God can do, right? In just a very short amount of time, when people get focused in on His presence, on His Word, on one another, loving and living in the life, right? Life. Team life. You know what? As I think about all of that, I am very encouraged as I know where Paul's going to take us this morning in Colossians, talking about team life positions, right? In other words, what is our role on the team? We mentioned that a little bit the other night when we were talking about the culture and values, but today we're really going to center in on this, so if you want to get that sheet out, that sheet out, and also let me remind you, if you did not put your trading card in, we'll pass this around, put it in there, and then make sure that you grab another one, okay? So I think we understand that. If, for instance, you didn't bring yours to the room right now, that's okay. (laughs) Actually, I forgot to. So, (laughs) um, but... I'm gonna just keep praying for that person that's sitting up on my little nightstand beside me. So I'll continue to pray this prayer over her. The main thing is that this prayer is being prayed over every one of us multiple times throughout the day. So as you can see on that sheet that says Team Life Physicians, right underneath that little heading there, there's a little box. And there's four questions in that box. And we're going to look in Colossians. Specifically, we're going to start in relation to Paul's position. And we're going to answer these four questions. What was his position on Team Life? How did he handle that position? How his heart was connected to that position? And who was supplying the power for that position? All right? And I believe that as we do this, what we're going to find out is that God's going to start to speak to us about our positions on team life. So before we get started, though, let's let's say these verses, okay? So right now, we know verses one through three, right? Yes, amen, yes, yes? you know them? All right, so try to say it without looking. And I'm just gonna let you know, too. So years ago, I memorized this in the NIV, and I have taught them this so many times, and it's a go-to that I review in my heart often. And so when I got ready to make these, I originally did it in this NASB. And then I thought, you know, that's not a good idea, Sharon, because you know it in the other. And you're going to always be saying the opposite of it opposite. And so I switched it. But when I sent it to the printer, I accidentally sent the wrong file. So when we got it back, I am like, you're I can't say this like that. So if you see me looking, or if you hear me bumble, that's why I've been working really hard this weekend to just switch those words. Because it is definitely worded different. So I'm doing my best to memorizing right along with you. God has a and sense of humor, right? Some some hand motions. So it oh. Be oh, I love be it. Mm-hmm. I it. love it. Get involved. Do whatever you got to do. Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> if then you have been raised up with Christ. See, oh, I can't watch you guys. <laughs> with all my going on here. All to close my eyes. Here we go. Because your hand motions are beautiful. They just throw me out. All right, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Good. All right, I do want to watch later, just not while I'm trying. <laughs> so today, we want to add in this last part, when Christ, say it would be who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. God, we just appreciate so much the life that you have given us. We look forward, Lord, to that day in heaven when we, that, that all full revelation, everything will be clearly seen. But Lord, I believe that even every single day as you are revealed in us, your glory is revealed in us. The the glory of your life as we fulfill the positions that you have for each one of us on this team, you are revealed and your life flows forth. And so I pray that today as we get into your word, Lord, that you would give us a knowledge of that will in our lives. And we would be able to see it with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we could walk in manners that are worthy of you, pleasing you in all respects so that we can bear fruit in these positions that you have given us and be strengthened with power according to the riches of your might, and do these positions and fulfill them with joy and thankfulness for the position that you have given us. It is our inheritance, God, to be given something of benefit and purpose to contribute to the team. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's look at Paul's position. What was this position? And, and you know, I say what was, really, in a lot of ways, is what is, because he's still fulfilling this position. And I love that because, really, our positions on Team Life really do have bearings out through eternity, right? So what was his position? Well, throughout the chapters of Colossians, Paul identifies himself in in a manner of various ways. In chapter 1, verse 1, he calls himself an apostle, right? He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. God gave him that position. But also in verse 7, we see that he calls himself a bondservant. A bondservant is a term used in scripture that means, I chose to be a servant. Sometimes they say bondslave. It's not like somebody came along to Jesus came along and said, you have to be my slave. Now, Jesus did call his name, but it was still according to Paul's choice that he chose to follow through. So he he is choosing, just like each one of us, have chosen to follow Christ. Nobody's making us do that, right? We're choosing to do that. In verse 23, Paul identifies himself in another way. He, he says that he is a minister and a preacher. I'll read it for you. He's talking to them about continuing in their faith, being firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. He says that you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, was made a minister. Then drop down to verse 25, and he talks about preaching the word of God. So he's a minister. He's a preacher. He's an apostle. He's a bondservant. In verse 28 of the same chapter, we find that he's doing some coaching and some teaching. What does he say? He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man. That, admonishing is meaning you're pushing, right? And, and he says, um, teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. Verse 29, we find out he works really hard. Like, he's in the labor pool, like, okay? He's not just sitting there, like, telling everybody else what to do. He's down there on the ground doing the work. He says, for this purpose, I labor, I strive, all right? And also, if you flip over to chapter 4, verse 3, you find out that he calls himself a prisoner, all right? He is a prisoner. Literally, he wrote this letter from prison. So lots of roles that he calls out here in this moment, but that's really not even all for Paul, of his roles. We find others mentioned in other places in Scripture, but we're going to focus on those today. So how did Paul handle? Because all this is a lot of responsibility. How did he handle all of this? Well, as you read through Colossians, you can see a lot of things about how he handled his position. And remember, we want to make note of these things because in a few moments, God's going to use these same things to speak to us about our positions and how we handle them. So first of all, I think he handled his positions with affection. We're not going to read all these verses, but if you look through like verse 7 of chapter 1, verse 7 of chapter 4, verse 9 of chapter 4, verse 14 of chapter 4, we see that Paul has like a lot of affection for his teammates. He calls them beloved. You don't just call somebody beloved if you don't even really like them or if you don't even have great affection for them, he called them beloved. We see that he has a deep heart for the people that he's working with, right? And not everybody does. I mean, we've all probably encountered somebody that by nature of the position you would think that they would be caring and nurturing and they're cold and harsh, right? So it doesn't just come with the position, it's something that has to really come from the heart and Paul has an affection. Another thing that we see of how he handled his position was prayer. I believe the things that Paul prays for in the prayer we're praying over one another from chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, are really an indication of the way Paul has come to realize hey, I got to handle my position in these ways. I I just think of learning of the character of Paul through studying him in in a very amount of ways is that Paul's not going to be one of those leaders who's pointing at people and saying, you do this, I'll do my own thing, right? He's going to lead by example. (coughs) So the very things that he's praying over these other believers, I bet you anything he's praying them over himself. And And he knows he's got to be able to do these things. For instance, that he's got to have a knowledge of the will of God. He's not going to just run around making his own decisions for the position. He's got to have a knowledge of the will of God. That's from verse 9. And then he realizes, I bet, that he's not going to be able to just take um, you know, this, this knowledge and just make a plan and, and do it all by himself. He's got to have the spiritual wisdom and understanding to see beyond. So he's praying for these things because he knows he can't do that on his own. He knows he's got to walk in a manner worthy of God. That this position is not something that he's been given and now he's a one-man show, right? He is, he is representing God who has called him into this position. And again something he can't do on his own. So what does he do? He goes to prayer for that. And he realizes the people that now he's leading also have positions, and they've got to be able to do that. So he's praying for them, Making every effort to please God, even in the little things. Being aware of what it even looks like to please God. You have to know God's heart. I prayed for years, God, help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. So that I would have the heart of God. So that I could please Him. to Even know what does please Him. Paul's praying into that. I believe it's because he wants to handle his role with 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 a pleasing effect to the Lord. Bearing fruit. He realizes there's got to be fruit coming out of it. You know, we're not going to just show up, do the thing, just say we did the thing, and then check the box. But what's the fruit coming out of, of this role that you've given me, God? Continually increasing in knowledge. There's a prayer for humility in that. To not arrive at a place and go, Oh, I know that. I know that. Oh, I know that. Right? We don't ever want to be those kind of people, but Paul, he, he realizes that, I think, about himself, so he's praying into that. You get the idea. Just pray through each of these things to have strength, to be steadfast, to be patient. How many of us know it's hard to hold the same position for many, 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 many years, right? Mm-hmm. To be steadfast through that thing and let that thing go through lots of different phases and people coming and going, and you remain steadfast and patient doing the work of the Lord. And doing that, what does he say? With joyous thankfulness, right? That's a huge thing to pray into. So Paul's praying into all this stuff. And I'm sure that he didn't get it right all the time. Even though he's praying it for other people, it's probably not that he's arrived in all these things, because there's many times within the book that he's talking to them directly, and then he groups himself in the mix, right? And just like I do, even as I'm teaching, right? A lot of times I say, you, but then I'm really let you know. I'm saying these things to myself. And and so I'm sure that he didn't get it right 100% of the time, but the fact that he's praying for these things helps me to see that he recognizes how important these same things are, in, are valuable to the way he carries out his own position on the team. And let's make note of this as well as we think about prayer and how he handled the position. If you flip over to Chapter 4 verse 2, he tells the believers, and this was part of our workout last night, some of you might have even done this verse as your verse, but um, for the workout, but he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. That goes right back into what he was praying about in chapter 1 in that prayer we're praying where he says, joyously giving thanks, right? So keeping alert in prayer, that means to give strict attention to prayer. So that tells me Paul does that in the way that he handles his ministry roles and his position on the team. But what else does Colossians reveal to us about how Paul carried out his responsibility of his position? Go back over to chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. We're going to see a lot of stuff right here. First of all, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he is suffering. And if you read in other parts of scripture, you find out he went through all kinds of stuff. Being in prison is just one of many of the ways that he suffered. But he rejoiced. That's one of the ways that he handled his position. Verse 24, we also find that he says something, and this has rocked my world, this whole verse. We're going to get into this a little bit later. But he says, I do my share. He says, in my flesh... I do my share. In other words, he does his part. Okay? That's a huge thing. Verse 25, he says this, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. That phrase is another phrase that has really been speaking to me as I've been meditating on Colossians. Because I had never... I know what stewardship is. Like, so God gives me something and I need to take care of it well. We, we know that. We, we think of stewardship a lot of times in regard to finances, the, the finances that God puts in your hands. You want to steward those well, giving some back to Him, and then, you know, using it in ways that are, are pleasing to the Lord. But, you know, you've got to steward your time. You need to steward your body. You need to steward your thoughts. I mean, stewardship reaches way beyond just money. But I've never thought of God being a steward. And this... Really was revealing to me because he says, Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. And I see this really twofold. Yes, Paul was handed this role to be a minister, and it was his responsibility to steward it well, and I think he is, as a lot of the things we're seeing right now, right? He's stewarding his position well. But God also has purpose that he's trying to steward. And one of the ways he stewarded his role. God's role was to hand that responsibility to Paul. And here's the trickle-down effect. When God hands us a role, he is stewarding what he wants to happen in the earth. And when we take that role and we steward it well, then we're keeping the momentum of team life going. But when we're handed a role from God and we skip out on it or we don't handle it well, then or if Paul hadn't handled that well, imagine the backlog where the trickle-down effect would not have happened. We would not have this word that we're studying today. We would not have the life of Paul to look at and the the truth and the doctrine that he just, God used him in powerful ways to lay it out. Now, would God have found somebody else? I believe so, yes. But I don't think that that was God's plan because he obviously picked Paul, handed it to Paul. And because Paul was then taking the stewardship from God and handling it well, and then hopefully he's handing some of these other positions to other people, if they handle the stewardship well of that thing, it all goes back to the life of God from the throne, flowing down through us, flowing through, moving out through all the world. It's really incredible when you think about God is stewarding a purpose as well, and he's using us to do it in powerful ways. So he handled that thing with stewardship. Verse 25, we also find out he handled it with humility. What does he say? God gave me, he says, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for what? For your benefit. It's about the people that he's serving. There's a humbleness, a humility within Paul. And then also he handled this this role with thoroughness because what does he say that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God like he didn't just do it halfway or a little bit or do what he could but he gave it his all so verse 24 and 25 alone like we could camp out in those for days And just look at handling our positions that God gives us. But we're not going to do that. But when you go home, maybe you can, all right? We're going to look at it a little bit more in a minute. But just, you know, working our way through, there's even more to see about how Paul handled his position. One of the things I love from verse 28, he says, We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. You know, we see here... That Paul has the heart of God for people because God cares about every man. So he's handling his position in the same spirit of God as if God was here himself. When Jesus was here, He didn't follow the trend of the world and just picking the people that were, you know, lovely and easy to deal with and the one that everybody else wanted to pick. No, he went out and he found what the least of these, the ones who the world had marginalized into not being worthy. He found the woman at the well who everybody else sneered and snickered at, right? I mean, Jesus went and he found every man. And Paul has a heart for every man. And let me tell you something. I bet you Paul did some serious workouts in the spiritual gym to get to that place. Because he grew up as a, you know, Jewish man, hating Gentiles. And the role that God gave him was to be a light to the Gentiles. So his whole manner of thinking, his whole life up to that point, had been racism. Right? Thinking himself better. And better enough that he would go and kill people. Right? So everything had to change in the way that he thought. And then carried out those thoughts in the way that he felt. So to say this, that I mean, what that represents is huge. He had a heart for every man. So that's a very small thing, and that he sees, you know, all the people of the world as individuals. We're not just gonna group them in. So he handled his position looking at individual people, but this also is huge because this tells me Paul had a big goal. He handled his position being able to have big vision. Right? He didn't just say, okay, I'm just going to zoom in on the people of on. That's where I'm going to put my effort. He's like, no, every man. All right, let's dream big with God. God's got this whole world out here that needs to be saved, all the Gentiles, every man, complete in Christ. So he sees people as individuals, and yet he sees the whole world who needing salvation. He's you know, handling this position with, with this beautiful humility that sees people as valuable, but then with huge vision at the same time. He also is willing to get in there and work his tail off. He says, for this purpose, I also labor, (coughs) striving. I mean, that means you get up and you do it over and over and over and over again. And then, as we have already mentioned in verse 3 of chapter 4, he mentions that he's imprisoned while he's doing all of this. Okay? So a lot of ways that Paul is handling his position. A lot of ways that he is handling... His position. All right, so what about his heart? What about his heart? Oh, you know what? I'm jumping ahead of myself, sorry. Couple more things. Hang on one second. I'm getting ahead. All right. I got a little confused there all right so here we go keep going with me we are just go with me for here all right so for number three what was paul's heart and connect being connected into his position we head into chapter two we see he says this for i want you to know how great a struggle i have on your behalf and for those who are at laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face so, how was Paul's heart? We're on number three. If I confuse you, we're on number three now. How was his heart connected to his position? How was his heart connected to his position? We find he struggled. But if you go down to verse five, we find that he rejoiced. We find he rejoiced. And in chapter four, verse 11, we find out that he was encouraged by one of his teammates. You know what? These things tell me that Paul deeply cared about what God had called him to do. He deeply cared about what called God had called him to do. And then he was serving with an emotional investment. It wasn't just a task for Paul, a job, a position to be filled. His heart was deeply connected to what God had called him to do. And he was emotionally all in. And his position was very tough, so that would have been very hard to do, right? Have you ever been in a position where you just shut your emotions off? Just get it done because it's just too hard to have your emotions in there. But Paul didn't do that. It was probably very difficult for him to be away from all of these people, right? He loved them. He loved them. Some of them he had never even met, we find out. And and he's not even just writing some of this to Col- the people at Colossae, he's also talking right there to the people at Laodicea who are off in another area, you know, probably an adjacent city that would have been. It would have been very easy for him to close his heart off, just get it done, because he's all alone, you know, unless he gets a visitor like Timothy that comes every now and then. But he didn't do that. He stayed emotionally invested. So number four, where did he get the power to do all of that? Because we looked at a lot of things, a lot of things. I mean, how did he get the power? I'm noticing I didn't even mention earlier, like when we're talking about how he handled his position, we didn't even get into chapter four. He handled his position speaking with, with grace to outsiders. We looked at that verse last night, right? We ha- He handled his position, um, you know, the way he spoke to people. He did that with grace, and, and he had wisdom toward those outsiders. So that would be another one to add to the list of number two. But when we think about that, how do we have the power to do all of these things, to have affection, to pray for people, to rejoice in his sufferings, to... You know, handle his, his uh, vision with a big vision but also a small vision, all these different things that we looked at that Paul did, how did he get the power for it? We've seen multiple times throughout the weekend, and specifically in the prayer that we're praying, that Paul gets his power from the Lord, right? And that he has a mindset, God, strengthen me according to the riches of your power. If we ever pray into God's strength in me according to my power, you're not going to get very far. And so Paul realized he had to have a power way beyond himself. And I love, if you look in verse 29, he says, for this, of chapter 1, for this purpose I labor, and I'm striving according to his power. I love that he says that, because he's telling us here what he's doing, and it's the very thing that he was praying for in verse 11 right? He was praying to be strengthened with all power, and now he's actually living that out. And that shows me the faithfulness of God, that God actually shows up when he asks, when we ask him to empower us. And one of the things I really want to zoom in on here according you know, to a way that God really gave um, Paul power is this. Paul was in prison. We've mentioned that, but let that soak in for a minute. You know, you can just take that as a fact and think, okay, he was in prison. You know, I know that about Paul, sure. But have you ever been in prison? Do you know what that feels like to be in prison? I imagine some of us here, even if maybe somebody here has actually been in prison, maybe that's part of their story, but maybe some of us here, I know I have. I have done some prison ministry. So I've walked in prisons. I know what it feels like to hear that clink behind you and the door is locked. And to sit and talk with people who that is their reality day in and day out and and they know they're going to be there for years. We have two jail-based ministries and established footsteps and in the early days, the jail friends, thats now a letter-writing ministry, we went every Friday night, and, and I had a jail friend, and I would sit across the cubicle, and it looks just like it does on TV, where you pick up the phone, and there's plexiglass, and you're talking, and many times, the boyfriend here, who had come to visit the girl there, they're screaming and cussing at each other, I mean, they can't even be together five minutes before they're in an argument or whatever, you're just leaning in and I had my Bible open and she had hers and we're trying to talk Jesus with all this chaos, you know, but I would leave there on Friday nights and I would think you know what, I get to go home yeah. they don't go home it's like this every time when, when we did ministry in Romania when I first met Miha and we went to the Gypsy Villages, I remember profoundly being impacted by this specific village we went to and we left and we actually our the youth pastor that was with us, Mackenzie was on this trip as well and we, um, he just wanted to pull over so we could kind of regroup and just kind of talk through what we had all experienced. And there just was nowhere to pull over except for this graveyard. So he pulled into this graveyard. And I remember standing in the graveyard and I thought, there's more life in this graveyard than there was in that Gypsy Village. I mean, that's how awful it felt. But I also realized we are getting to leave that place. Those people are still in that place. And they may never come out. It was like a prison of poverty and, and just horrible depravity that generation after generation, I mean, Mia has worked and labored and strived, her and her husband in those gypsy villages for years. She could tell you stories that would blow your mind. And so we have to sit in this for a moment and think about what it would be like to be in prison. And many of us, even if we've never been in a physical prison or you know, been to a gypsy village, or places where people are literally trapped. We know what it's like to be in a prison, in our heart, right? In our mind, where we're just stuck in a pattern of maybe depression or despair or, you know, shame-filled thoughts or a habit we can't just break. And, you know, it's just, it it feels, we we just feel so stuck. But for Paul, if you think about him being in this place that he could not exit unless the grace of God was going to somehow miraculously do that, And it's pretty amazing because Paul had also been in a prison before and literally seen an earthquake and the doors fly wide open and he gets to leave, right? We read that happening in the book of Acts. So you know he's probably in that thing going, come on, guy, you did this before. Get me out of here so I can do my position. So imagine all of the emotions that he might have been going through as he's in this prison. So we're thinking about where did he get the power to, to do what he's doing while he's dealing with different situations, specifically this idea of, of prison, but you know what? What I find is so fascinating to me is Paul writes this whole book of Colossians and he barely even mentions that he is in prison. Mm-hmm. And that is divine power. Because the human heart is so easy to be self focused in the middle of trial, right? he barely mentions it he barely mentions it twice and then at the very end of the book he says remember my imprisonment and the other time one of the other times that he mentions it he doesn't tell any details at all he's just like oh they'll tell you about that because what does he want to spend his time doing fulfilling his position speaking out the truth of who god is pouring out blessings and love and encouragement and Training and righteousness and all these things for the people. He doesn't want to get caught up in a bunch of circumstances that he really can't do anything about and that obviously God is allowing, and instead he just steps into the moment. He doesn't even talk about that. And I find that to be very powerful because I know when I am going through a hard season or something that I'm going, come on, God, get me out of here done it before or whatever, I can tend to give myself permission to go, okay, once I get my life together, I'm going to then step back into my role, and I'll take care of the things that God's asking me to do. It's very permission-giving to be going through a trial. You know, we we tend to just exit, or we tend to get very self-focused, and every conversation we're having with people, we're telling people about every detail about our trial, and it's really, really hard, right? Right? And, and, and that becomes the focus of our world. And Paul, to operate that and just be able to set his flesh aside, to push the flesh out of the way, to have a circumcised heart and be able to be fil- fulfilling his position with joy and being at content and at peace, I find that to be incredibly, incredibly powerful. So what do we see from all of this? Paul was given a position. He handled it very well, right? I mean, does anybody agree with me? He handled this position very well with heart, with integrity, with the power and the virtue and the character of Christ. So what does that speak to us? Well, remember when we began, I said, as we look at Paul's role and answer some of these questions, what it's going to do is begin to start speaking into our positions on the team as well. And, and I believe that there's so much to see in this team life manual. So we're going to look at the same four things that we just looked at for Paul's position, but we're going to look at them for ourselves. And I think we'll get some real clarity and direction about what our positions are and how we should be operating in them, how we should handle those positions, the heart we should have for them, and where we're going to get our power. So let's start with our position. Paul knew what his position was. Why didn't he know? Because the Lord had told him. Okay. When God called his name, he said to him, I have chosen you to be a light to the Gentiles. And what that means is that God was going to use him to take the gospel beyond just the Jewish nation. Up until this point, it had just been for the Jews. All right? And then he was going to take it beyond that. And so a Jewish person, a Gentile person would be anyone who is non-Gentile. So if God had not called Paul to do that, um, I don't know that any of us in the room are Jewish by heritage, but we wouldn't be. Okay? So this role was very, very important. And we mentioned a moment ago, this would have been a shock to Paul's system. Everything he had ever known up until this point was a seniority, like a, a looking down upon. I mean, they looked at Gentiles as some of the other. And so to know that he is now being given a position, this was a big deal. So God called Paul, but Paul said yes. He knew his position because the Lord had told him. And here's the question for us. Do we know what our position is? Do we know what our position is on the team? And I want to say to you, I believe that God has already told us, and I believe God will continue to tell us. And I want to explain what I mean by that, because that could sound contradictory. Many times on a team, um, one person will cover multiple positions, even with Paul. We saw that, right? He was called to be a light to the Gentiles, but he also identified himself as an apostle, a bondservant, a minister, a preacher, a teacher, a laborer, a prisoner, okay? So he fulfilled a lot of roles. And the thing is that in other New Testament writings that we read of Paul, he also identified himself in these kind of ways, as a child of God, as an evangelist, seated in the heavenly places with Christ. So what does this say about us? It tells us that there are a lot of positions that God has already put all of our names on, and we find them right here in His Word. For instance, every person in this room holds the position of being a daughter of God. That is a position that we have already been told about. We have a secure position in God's family. We also, every one of us in this room, have the position of evangelist. Jesus made it very clear to all of his disciples, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple today, and he said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to all the people in every nation. We are all called to be evangelists. We all hold that position. We have the position of being a lover of people. God has told us very clearly to love people. Even people who are outside of the faith, to love one another. We are supposed to be supreme lovers, right? Just loving on people, pouring out love on people. That's one of our positions. We've already been told about that. We have the position of being a light to the world, right? Just shining out the glory of God in all kinds of ways. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but I think you get the idea of what I'm talking about because there's more than what I just mentioned, the things that God has already said. So even if we don't have a specific word from God, you know, even if we don't know exactly what God has called us to do in this world, we can have clarity about positions that he has already given to us because there are plenty right here in this word that we can give attention to. But let's talk for a moment as well about those specific positions because those are a part of our world as well. I'm sure in this room there are lots of stories um, that could be told, maybe already have some this weekend, about God specifically calling our name to play a specific position on the team. It might be a position that you'll carry for your whole life or it might be for a season. I I want to tell you the story of how God called me to do what I'm doing right now, why I'm in this position. I know some of you have heard a little bit of this before, maybe all of it, but I know a lot of you have have not. So in 1994, I was 29 years old, and that, I know that some of you weren't even thought about yet, but that that was me. I was 29, all right? So I was already 29 before some of you were thought about. That's okay. We're all sisters in Christ, right? I'm dealing with aging. So, anyway... 29 years old, 1994. And it had only been a few months since my heart had really just broken open into this new season of walking with God and really been turned on to God's Word. Um, I think I told you I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, but it was, you know, till this moment that I really had not come into an understanding of what it looked like to be on the team, right? To, to really be all in with God. And so it was like I was discovering Jesus for the first time. Like, I was seeing his heart, and I was seeing his smile. I didn't think I'd ever seen that before. I was seeing his grace. I didn't really ever get any understanding of his grace until this time. It was something that was really never talked about um, when I was growing up. Um, There was just a lot about you just need to be like Jesus, be like Jesus, work hard and be like Jesus. And so I was seeing all of these new wonders about Jesus. I was also finding things of where he was calling me to have a resurrected life. All kinds of things, and what was happening was I could not get enough of His Word, which was a miracle because up until that point, um, honestly, I had been pretty bored with His Word. But He literally, miraculously, changed my heart and gave me a heart for His Word. So I was just reading; like I just couldn't get enough of reading His Word. And I found myself in the Book of Isaiah one day. I'd never read Isaiah before. If I had, maybe in Bible college, I mean, I'd done some bits and pieces, but it was enough to learn for the tests, and then I was on my way. So I didn't really understand much of what I was reading, but I was finding little, you know, bits and nuggets and little treasures here and there. And I came upon this verse in Isaiah 65, 10, and it had my name in it. So it kind of caught my eye, and I started reading it, and I had this sense, it was something new for me because I really hadn't experienced this before, of God's voice really speaking, I was just starting to understand what, the, what that felt like, what that sounded like in my heart. And, and I had this sense that God was speaking to me saying, I, I have something I want to show you from this verse. And this is what the verse said: And Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks, and the valley of Acor a resting place for herds for my people who seek me. Now, even though I thought God was trying to speak to me, I didn't have a clue what he was saying. That was like speaking another language to me. And I didn't know what the Valley of Acre was. I'd never heard of that. And the rest of what he was talking about really didn't make any sense to me. But one of those ladies, an sis I'm not sure which one, had recently told me before that that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. If you have a question, ask him. So I thought, all right, here we go. I'm going to ask you, what does this mean for me? And I began to pray and ask that. Now, I also want to note... That at this time, there was no internet, okay? So it's not like you could go on and look up commentaries or anything like that about it. So, what would we have naturally done probably would go and ask your pastor. Well, our pastor had resigned three months before that, and I hadn't seen him since, really. My husband was a youth pastor. We were still young enough in our marriage, but I didn't have much respect for him, so I probably wouldn't feel like I was going to ask him. I would think he would know, you know? And that's really a shame on me, but it's the truth. And we lived in this teeny little town in Alabama where the library was teeny tiny. And I had a toddler. Mackenzie was, too, at the time. And so, I mean, you know, just to be able to go out and find this information, it wasn't going to be really easy. Plus, this was all new for me. And I wasn't going to go up to somebody and go, hey, I think God's speaking to me. Can you help me figure this out? Because I thought, they're going to think I'm crazy. So there was really no other resource for me than to say, Holy Spirit, teach me. What are you trying to say to me? So I several days went by and I'm just asking the Lord. I didn't even tell anybody. But this verse, like I was thinking about it all the time. Like I just knew God had something to say to me. So one day I came home, the answer machine was blinking, and yes, answer machine, I know that's what we had back then. And the answer machine was blinking. So I got Mackenzie settled down to play, and I punched the answer machine. I'm putting some girls' shoes away, and I hear my pastor's voice. Now I hadn't seen him in three months, and it had been during that time, all of this awakening had happened to me, so he had no idea what had been going on. And he said, Sharon, this is Dwight. He said, I've been trying to reach you for several days, and I can't get a hold of you, so I've just decided to leave this message for you so you could hear this this way. He said, there's this verse that God's been putting on my heart for you. He said, How's your name in it, and I dropped the girl's face and I'm like, oh my goodness and he went on to say this he said god has been speaking this over your life and he wanted me to explain it to you he said the valley of achor was a place of suffering i know some of you are sitting here i'm oh tracy you're about this wide open, i'm telling you this is exactly what happens i know this message because i stored it in my heart long after the answer machine broke and i have listened to this message over and over it keeps me grounded sometimes when i want to quit But he said, the Valley of Acre was a place of suffering in Scripture, and you will find it in the Old Testament. It definitely was. He said, I know you've been through a lot of suffering. And in my 20s, I had been. I walked through a lot of really dark stuff, depression, infertility, a ton of loneliness, a ton of rejection. It was really, really hard. I mean, we had some amazing moments. I also adopted Mackenzie during, my husband and I adopted Mackenzie during that time. We had some great life moments. But my 20s were dark, and I didn't know the gospel during that time. And so there was a lot of suffering, but he said, the Valley of Acre was a place of suffering, but God is resurrecting you up out of that. Dwight didn't know what had been happening to me. He said, and God is going to use what he's doing in your life to teach people his word. When they start seeking him, when people are seeking him, he's going to use your life to be a feeding ground for people. And Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks. The Valley of Acre, a resting place for herds for my people who seek. That was my calling. And I have hung on to that. And let me tell you, that just like catapulted me into believing that God speaks. And that God is our teacher. Because there was no way, as Rhonda, we were talking yesterday, you can make this stuff up? It <laughs> very like that. God does things in such creative ways. He uses answering machines. And now he uses Facebook sometimes. or He uses whatever tool is there. Because he wants to get our attention and speak to us. And that message has replayed over and over and over in my heart. But I want you to know, as clear as that message was, and I, and I am so, so thankful for it, because I know it gave me clarity. And I know not everybody gets that kind of clarity. But at 29, I didn't really still know what to do. It's not like I go, "Okay, I'm going to tell you everything I know about the Word of God, but like nobody was there wanting to listen. Eleven years went by of preparation before I ever started established footsteps. And I will tell you that especially even in the last few years, I have been crying out to God, what is this supposed to look like? I still don't know what I'm really supposed to do with this calling. And so you just take a little step and a little step and you try to handle it in the way of these things that we've been talking about with Paul. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. But here's the thing. Even though I didn't understand it with total clarity, and I don't believe Paul understood with total clarity what his calling was either. God called him and said, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. He had no idea what that meant. He had no idea what that would look like. A lot of the things we've done in established Footsteps, even this, I mean, that wasn't on my radar at that time. I had no idea of those things, and I'm sure I don't have any idea of the things that are still coming. But the, the main point is when he calls us, no matter if it's a position from his word or a calling specific like that, that our answer is yes that our answer is yes. And I think that's the most important part. Our answer needs to be yes. I said yes to that call. I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I probably wouldn't have said yes if I had known. And the the same with Paul and many of us as well. I mean, many of us in the room are moms. That is a specific calling. When God planted that um, baby in your womb, that's a specific calling. That's God speaking to you and saying, you have a stewardship of this child for the rest of this child's life. Long into when they become an adult, you have a, I think, an even more important role of praying for that person and standing in the gap for your child. You know, for me, God called me. I mean, we have very specific, amazing, beautiful adoption stories for both of our children. Both of my kids are adopted. And amazing stories of how God did that. I know that He called me to be their mom. And so that is a specific calling for me. If you're married, that is a specific calling that God has given you to your husband to be His wife. That's a specific. Call it. No matter what it is, we need to say yes to what that is. We need to say yes. And sometimes we say no. A few years, a couple years ago, God called me and it, it again, it's another story. I'll tell it another time maybe. But God was very specific in his calling for me to become a Pilates instructor. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I kicked and screamed basically the whole way to our first training time because I, I did not want to do it. And, and I finally just said, all right, to my husband, I'll pray about it. And as soon as I prayed about it, God just brought about some clarity with other things I'd been praying about, and I knew. His answer was yes, but I'm like, you have got to pray me. I do not want to do this. Now, in hindsight, it's been a huge gift, still a huge challenge, still way more things than I ever would have probably even agreed to if I had known at the front end, which is all of us, like when that baby's planted in your womb, you have no idea what you're getting yourself <laughs> into, right? And yet you say yes. And, and that's the most important thing, that we say yes, whether it's a calling specific in the Word or a calling specifically personal to you, that you say yes to the calling. Too many times we neglect what God is calling us to do. I think a lot of the positions that we neglect are the ones that are right here in the Word because we're all caught up in, what does God want me to do with my life? He's trying to And you just step into the other positions as he makes them specific to your life, No matter what they are, God is encouraging us to say yes. As I've been meditating on the book of Colossians, I told you a moment ago that one of the verses that has really gripped my heart is Colossians 1.24, where Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, or in my soul, So that would mean what? In my mind, so the way I think about my role, my position, the way I feel about my role, the way that I act about my role, he says, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. The question would be, am I doing my share? Mm -hmm. You know? I can't say yes to your position, and you can't say yes to mine, and God's not asking us to. But the position that he's given to us Am I doing my share? All right, let's move on. So after we looked in Colossians to see what Paul's position was, we also looked at how he handled that. And let's let this team life manual of Colossians speak to us about the same. So how are we handling our positions? That's question number two. So when we were looking at this with Paul, we saw lots of things. And I don't really want to go through all of them for us because we'd be here well past lunch for that, okay? And I don't think you want me to either. So what I decided to do was just zoom in on a few of those that I thought would really be um, beneficial to us. But they really all are. We're just going to zoom in on a few. So let's first of all look at being alert in prayer. One of the things we found out about Paul was that he was alert in prayer. What about us? Being alert means to be strictly attentive to. Would that describe the way that we pray about our positions, okay? Now, I'm not talking about maybe other things in your life where you're praying, you know, for, um, you know, something going. I I won't even make, you know, examples there. But, you know, are you praying about your position? Are you praying into the charge that your position holds in your life? Prayer connects us to the owner of the team. Connects us to God himself, who is the coach of the team as the Holy Spirit. And when we talk things over with him, and then when we get in the huddle with Jesus, and he's calling the plays, right? We're hearing his heart, and that's what prayer is. And we get his perspective, and we get his strength, and we get our mind focused on his agenda and what he wants to do in this moment or situation or through our position. But too often, we are prayerless meaning we are less in prayer and more in listening to ourselves listening to other people listening to this that and the other all these voices and in this day and age the voices are so many. they're so loud and we have to take responsibility And that's hard because of that fear of missing out right i think that's one of the things that keeps us from prayer we don't want to miss out something. And so we, we've got, we're listening, 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 and we're missing out on the benefit of prayer and the, the communication that we could be having with God. I think a lot of times, and I know God has really had to work out my soul in this, is we use the word prayer a lot. We say, oh, I'm praying for you. When really what we mean is I'm really hoping that things work out for you. Or, I'm really thinking about you with like kind thoughts in my heart. Like you're crossing my mind a lot today. But are we really praying? Like, I mean, are you going to the God of heaven and articulating words and asking him to affect and do things and putting your faith? Because it's not just about words. It's like engaging your faith to say, God, I believe this is what you really want to do. And I'm praying this into the atmosphere of what's going on in this person's life. Is that what we're doing or are we wishing? Are we hoping? Are we thinking kind thoughts and going, oh, God, bless so-and-so. Oh, God, bless so-and-so. As we look at Facebook, oh, God, yeah. You know, one time, I had one of heaven. This just came out of nowhere, but I'm going to tell you this because I think it really... I, I went to this, um, this um, event one time. It was some kind of a worship event, and it was a, in those early days, and I was just kind of wrapping my head around people that were walking with Jesus in deeper ways than I had experienced before and trying to figure out what was really genuine and what wasn't because you can find some crazy stuff, right? Okay, so I went to this event, and um, these people wanted to pray for me, mm-hmm. and so... I, I, um, I actually was laying on the floor and they were praying for me and they had their hands on me. And I had my eyes closed. But I remember this guy was just praying and he was like really praying with like a lot of like, you know, just really calling it out. But I, I kind of opened my eye and I looked up and he was so distracted. Like he wasn't even in the moment. Like he was, he was like calling out all this stuff and he was looking over and he was very attentive to other things going on in the room. And it so grieved my spirit, even in those young years. Like, I thought, something is not genuine here. And I think that a lot of times when we're praying for other people, and I, I this is pointing right at me, I'm so distracted as I just want to check it off my list and go, yeah, I called their name out to heaven. I say, like, oh, God, help them, you know. But I'm really not engaging my faith and engaging my heart and really, you know, taking time to pray for people that's why we've got to be really careful when we say those words to steward this thing of prayer well and not just float that word around i mean even newscasters who don't even believe in god will say i thought some prayers are with them when there's a like a they're not praying i mean i'm sorry i i don't think that they are because they don't even know the lord a lot of them or they'd be the first to you know come against Evangelical Christians or, you know, and so I think we throw that word around in our culture a lot And so you can't pray for everyone So if you're not going to pray for somebody don't say that you're praying for somebody But if God calls you to pray for somebody pray for that person be diligent be strictly alert and attentive To that we have to handle our positions in prayer We have to handle our positions in prayer because we can't even know what we're supposed to do half the time in the position. If you're a mom, one of your greatest responsibilities of being a mom is praying for your children. I didn't learn that near at the level that I know it now and I still know that I have a ton to grow in that area. If you're not sure what that looks like or how to do that, then talk to some of your sisters, like get a spotter, right? Like on our workout and say, I need help in this. I don't, I don't know what this even looks like in my life. I'm so thankful for some people that came around and taught me about that. Yeah. Can I just tell you this story real that I really want to share this, but, so last Sunday I was at work and I was uh, at the light of the show looking through Facebook and picture was, uh, my neighbor showed up. I really didn't know him that well, him and his wife, you know, just said hi to him and He lost weight. I'm going to see how he lost weight. This is what I'm doing to myself. And clearly, God said, you need to pray for him. I mean, I immediately called my husband. I'm like, this is freaky. I've never had this happen to before. And I'm thinking like, well, what do I pray, you know? And then God said, you don't need to know, just pray. And I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to pray for his finances, his health. I mean, it really freaked me out because I've never had that happen. And it's like, well, you just need to do it. But God's not going to do it. So that was um, Sunday. So Monday, I took off work because I had some things to do And about 1 o'clock, I wasn't a home, and I'm walking my dogs, and I go by their house, and the wife, Cindy, comes running out. She's like, Jamie, Jamie. And I was like, hey, you know? And she just starts bawling. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, what's the matter? Yeah. And she said, um, John is dying. Mm-hmm. This is the guy. And I'm like, I mean, I just get this chill, and I'm tearing up. And she's like, what's the matter? And I said, well know if I should tell you this I don't know you know but I said last night God laid it on my heart and I told her she's like oh my gosh you know she said I knew I loved you for a reason from the first day I met you, you know, she just, but he's ate up with cancer Like all of they just found this out like the Friday like the Friday before so this is on a Monday the Friday before um, he started getting like thirsty or whatever and so he had like a diabetic a diabetic test done they found out he had diabetes and then they went to do upper GI and found out they the a cup, cup. Yeah. Yeah. but she's been messaging me because i told her i was coming here this morning mm-hmm. I, her. I just thought that that was yeah a- and, totally and what that does awful. so many times when you when you step into those moments then it, it opens up the atmosphere god starts opening doors yeah. so that it fulfill all these other positions that he's given us of so being yeah. the light like, right yeah. doing those yeah. things and, yeah. and i would mention to you this too i really want this for my husband because he he he's he says if, if i say i'm going to pray for somebody i got to do it right then because i will forget and, and a lot of us do. You know, we say that, and then we go on our way. And so, I mean, I have watched my husband stand in the middle of grocery stores, in the middle of driveways. Because if, if they say, well, will you pray for me? He's like, yeah, I'll go right now. That's great. And he just plays the hand And he just starts. It just starts. I mean, in the middle of buying a car, the car lot. he just does it. You know, he doesn't even say, hey, do you mind if he just does it? But he just, like, you know, you know. be strictly alert to prayer like it tells us in chapter four that's what we need to do for whatever the role is and and god will grow that and you'll get to a place where you crave that time with him where you crave that time with him for me my best times of prayer are when i go on a walk i am too antsy i mean i'm not even a girl that can really sit down and watch a movie much because I don't, I gotta be doing something. Like, I gotta iron or something while I'm watching a movies. So, to just sit and pray is really challenging in my body. But if I go on a walk, it's mindless for me the movement that I'm out there. And I mean, I hear God and I talk to Him and He talks to me. And I've developed that over the years. But that's where, I mean, literally, there are times where I'm just craving to go on a walk, just like I would if I hadn't seen a friend in a long time. I, gotta, I just gotta be with the Lord. In that way where I know we're going to have good conversation. And we do have to develop that. We need, you cannot handle the position or positions that God has given you well if you're not praying. You just can't. You can't. We have to be people of prayer. And in the church today, there's so much prayerlessness. You hold a prayer gathering, you're going to have maybe 2% of the people show up, if that And I've seen it over and over again. And many times I'm part of that 98% that doesn't show up, right? And so, again, preaching to myself, I've had to learn to step in to handle my positions with prayer. So what's another one of the things to consider from Paul's example, all right? The way he prayed about his position. I want to talk to you about this one too, being willing to suffer. Paul said, that he rejoiced in his sufferings. Again, back to that verse, verse 24 in chapter 1. He said, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He wasn't even suffering for his own benefit, right? He's suffering for their sake. And he said, I rejoice about this. And the more you study about Paul's life, like I said, you find he suffered a lot. But he found joy in that. He discovered that mystery. We must understand that suffering is a part of life. We tend to view suffering as a very negative thing because it really feels that way, doesn't it? It really feels that way when we're suffering. So what is our natural response? What is our fleshly, soulish, natural human response to suffering? Oh, Get it out of my life, right? Push the suffering away. And in fact, in many prayer circles that you'll sit around as people share prayer requests, what do most of them center on? Get the suffering out of my life, right? Get it out. I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want my child to have to go through this. I don't want... And I get it. I mean, I am right there as well. So when I read this, it's like, wow, This is so opposite from the way we naturally are. As we study scripture, what we find is that Paul uses suffering in great ways. It's a part of the human experience that God uses to redeem us, to make us new. And notice I said, redeem us. I did not say punish us. The enemy, as we're going through suffering, will be quick to jump in and, and say, well, you're going through this because blah, and just condemnation all over our heads. We know that Romans tells us there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ took on our punishment. It's already paid for. But suffering, we've got to learn to renew our minds according to Christ because suffering is often for our benefit. And the benefit of the team. Several times in scripture we're told that Christ benefited from his suffering. So not only did, I mean we obviously benefited from the way Christ suffered, right? That's the reason we even could be on the team. But we're told that Christ benefited himself from the suffering. Now that's really something to ponder. But if you go back to this verse, verse 24, there's this phrase in here that I stumbled over for a while, and it's one of those that I had to go, Holy Spirit, teach me about this because I just don't get it. If you keep reading in verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake in my flesh. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. And then he says, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And I read that, so I was working my way through it, trying to memorize this, and I'm like, there was nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions. Like Christ took on all of those afflictions for us and there was he did a complete work. So that doesn't make sense to me. So I started digging in and trying to, you know, it just didn't make sense. I, I did talk to my husband, so that shows you I've gained respect, right? And I asked him, I said, what do you think about this? And we both were just like stumbling over it and trying to figure it out. And then as I continued to meditate and ponder, this is what the Lord just dropped in my heart. What he showed me was this. There was nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions, not one thing. But as I become one with Christ and as you become one with Christ, Christ's experiences are allotted to us. In other words, we get a portion of Christ's experiences. We get a portion of His peace, right? We get a portion of all the different things. And one of the things that was a big part of Christ's life is what? It's suffering. And every person suffers in one way or another and God uses it for good. But here's the thing. More often than not, we're not willing to do our share in the suffering part. We are so quick to push the suffering out or complain about the suffering. And instead, God is calling us that we each in our roles. And it's opposite to our minds as this may seem because it just doesn't even you know connect with the comfort level that we experience here in America, right? We're just all about comfort. And so we just want to push it out. But God is saying, no, I want you to do your share. And the reason Paul is saying... I do my share, it's because a lot of people in the church at that time and still today are not doing their share in the suffering. As soon as something gets hard, they bow out and they go, I'm out of here. This is not for me. I'm not going to do this. And God is saying, no, I want you to rejoice in your sufferings. That is a high calling. Something you cannot do without the power of Christ. And it makes no sense in our minds. And that's why we pray, like what we're praying in chapter 1 where it says, You know, give me a knowledge of your will. Like, is this really your will, God, that I would suffer? And then give me the spiritual wisdom and understanding to get it because that sure doesn't make any sense to me. So we ask God, who is our loving teacher, how we handle the suffering that comes with our position makes all the difference, which takes us to the very last way that we're going to talk about today that Paul handled his position, and that's be focused outside yourself. We've already talked about how Paul... um, you know, operate in the positions God gave him. Paul was not focused on himself. He just wasn't. He didn't even tell any of the details about being in prison. If that was me, I would have been saying, they don't have any good food here, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and all this stuff. They don't have a good bathroom. That would have been one of the things I sure would have talked about. But, you know, what about us? Are we focused on ourselves in a culture that is so self-focused, or are we focused on the role that god has given us pleasing god serving others and letting god focus on us see it's not like we just when we surrender to that it's not like well we just become the low life of the barrel right no god takes care of us and he takes care of us and he focuses on us in ways that we never could in our own striving to do that we do need to take care of our lives i mean Self-care is very important, but self-focus is different than self-care. And you, everybody knows that when a team has a self-focused player, it's very detrimental to the whole entire team. And the same is true on this team. If we fulfill the positions that God has given us, but we find ourselves more often than not thinking about ourselves, talking about ourselves praying about ourselves, considering our own well-being, and even the interest of our tribe, like your family or your workplace, or if it's always all about you, or 90% of the time about your interests and your things and your stuff, and you're never focused on, something needs to have some adjustment. We, we are so saturated in a self-focused world. It's so easy to get deceived, and I truly believe this is one of the biggest deceptions of our culture today is this self-focus and thinking it's okay. That's why Paul wrote for every culture that would come because it's different trends at different times. But in verse 8 of chapter 2, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive, a prisoner. See, he knows what it's like to be a prisoner, and yet he's free in his prison, and yet many people who are walking around are in a prison. They're in a prison of deception. Of self-focus or whatever the thing may be. But he said, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of, of the world. It will make sense in the world. It will look beautiful in the world. It will seem right in the world. And everybody else around you, if you're taking the focus off yourself, might keep trying to get you to focus on yourself. But you know because you're in the Word, you know because you're in prayer, you know because you're handling this position well where God wants you to be. And so you do your position according to Christ instead of according to the world. Let our lives be the opposite of what he's talking about in verse 8. That instead of living according to the traditions of men, instead of living according to the principles of this world, we live according to Christ, being focused outside of ourselves. I think if Paul were here today, he would address that. I really, really do. And so how do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you make sure that you're not self-focused in a world that's saturated with that? I think it's really important to put up some guardrails. In an area uh, where we see that there is deception in the world, and we could be easily deceived, if we... Look at ourselves today we find I'm always talking about me, I'm always posting about me, I'm always, you know, just focused on me, 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 considering if I'm gonna say yes to something both based on how I feel or what I want. If it's always all about me. How do I set up some guardrails so I don't run off the road into that kind of deception? Guardrails are there to protect us. And I just want to mention a couple of them or a handful, just real quickly. Intentional study of God's word. You keep your, your mind and your heart in the Word of God, God's going to cut guardrails in your life. Relationships. Having life-giving relationships. Permission-speaking relationships in your life where people have permission to say something to you that doesn't feel very good. You, every one of us should have people like that in our lives intentionally. Being in prayer. We've already talked about that. This is a huge thing, I think. Listening to um, leaders who are outside your circle. Now, what do I mean by that? And this might not sit well with some of us, but I I personally believe this is a good thing to do. You know, people move in packs, and they move in packs in deception as well. Even in the church, that can happen. And so, one of the greatest gifts God has given to me is in this ministry, I get to minister across denominational lines a lot. And so... Now I'm doing more work online, but for many years I did a lot of traveling and I was in all different kinds of churches, you know, working with different kinds of leaders and, you know, just hearing them and finding out, okay, this is where they're really focused, you know, and this is where they're really focused. And and I, I have learned a lot. I mean, my my thinking has really changed on a lot of things as I've seen the kingdom of God across a lot of spectrums. But you know what, if you only ever listen to people inside your circle, you are going to be so small minded and you can get really deceived into thinking some things that are really not true, but it's only because the people inside your circle are moving in a path of looking at something in a certain way. And it doesn't mean that you don't need to be careful in that regard because there's a lot of deceptive teaching out there, but it's good to here and there listen outside your circle or be friends with people who are outside your circle. What it does is it causes confidence for you to be able to rise up and go, I don't agree with that. Or to go, wow, all my people are deceived. Not, and not that you need to then be a judgment of them, but that you make sure that you have that guardrail in your life. You can't see to it for anybody else. I mean, for your kids, yes, all of that. But as an adult, you have to see to it yourself that you do not get deceived. And it's important to be outside your circle things as well. I think as well, if you can look in your life and you're not serving And doing anything at all for something that is really a benefit to others other than you, that's that's a guardrail you need to put up. There should always be some kind of service in your life. And one last thing that I just think is a really good thing to do, I try to make it a practice in my own life, in a world that is so focused on our own comfort. We are addicted to comfort in this country. And so it is important to just do something hard every day that makes you feel uncomfortable, that you do not wanna do. Just put it on your calendar, you know? And it might be that God surprises you with what he asks you to do. It might be stopping and helping somebody on the side of the road. It might be going to the gym and working your butt off because you need to. I mean, it might be whatever, you know? I mean, we all have different things that are hard for us. It might be saying no to something that you wanna watch on TV that's your favorite thing and you go and help your neighbor instead. Whatever arises, that you make sure that you do something hard every day. And if at the end of the day, nothing happened, well, just get down and do 20 push-ups, because that's hard. (laughs) And it just, over time, day after day after day, you do something that doesn't feel good, it's a guardrail for you to not just feel like it's always got to be about me and my comfort and my pain. And there's lots of other ways you can do that. But we've got to see to it. That we don't fall into this kind of deception. We gotta handle our position. Being a position is not just having a title, stepping in, doing your thing at that moment, and then stepping out. You're seeing this is life. This involves your whole life. So how are our hearts connected to our positions? We're gonna finish up here. Number three and four, real quickly. The idea here is that we don't wanna just do our position to get it done, like I just said a moment ago, right? or to please people. We want to be emotionally invested in what God has asked us to do for his kingdom with a heart to please him and serve him because it's our delight to do so. There should be tons of emotion that's beautiful and tons of emotion that's hard in your position because you are emotionally invested all in, right? You're going to experience the joys, and you're going to trust God to take you through the lows of it because you're not gonna guard your heart in a way that closes your heart off to the role that God has giving you, or roles, right? But you're gonna be all in. All of us know, when you watch a team, all in players are the best kind. Players that hold back, they don't score as many victories for the team. But when people are all in, all right? Even when we're doing something that God never, we, we never would've seen ourselves doing. Like for me, being a Pilates instructor. I gotta be all in this thing. I can't do it halfway. That's another reason we need to be alert in prayer. Because on our own, in our flesh, we will tend to just be halfway. Halfway, get it done, check the box. This is, this, I did my part, right? And then we go back to our own self-focused lives. No, we want to be all in, experiencing the highs and the lows. What about number four, power? Where are we getting the power to fulfill our positions? Throughout Colossians, Paul made it clear that his position, came, or his power, came from above. He said it over and over again. And as we take on our assignments, the same needs to happen for us. Our minds have to be strengthened, right? Our minds have to be strengthened to think like Christ. On our own, they will think like the world or like our our history. That's why I love that song. The blood of Christ is rewriting my history, right? It's rewriting the way I think about my history. Being able to see God's goodness, even maybe in some things that were really hard. He rewrites it in all kinds of ways. But having the power to think like Christ, having the the emotional maturity, right, that develops within us to feel like Christ. Christ had feelings. He, He invested in people emotionally. And in a world where people are afraid to feel and we're numbing our emotions all the time, we got to trust that God gave us these emotions and, and, and trust him to, to train us to handle them with maturity. And our wills have to be strengthened to respond like Christ. Whew, that's hard, right? So we need the power of God. How many times have I heard believers say, and myself as well, I can't do that. No, that's not for me. That's not, you know, and we, we tend to go toward our personality. Well, that's not, I can't. Maybe they can't forgive like Christ or find peace like Christ or persevere like Christ. Can't have that conversation that Christ would have if he was here. Or can't step up and try that new thing that maybe Christ is asking them to do. Maybe they can't overlook an offense like Christ. I mean, on and on we could go with all the reasons of things that we can't do. And we're right. We can't. We can't do them. But Christ will ask us to do these things. Our positions will require them. At work, if you are incapable of doing something and you're tasked with doing it, what do you do? You figure it out. You learn how to do it. And the same is true in our positions in the body of Christ. There are many things that we can't do. Most of the things that God will ask you to do, you can't do. If somebody ever says to you, God will never give you things you can't handle, that's, that's a lie. That is a lie. Okay? God will give you mostly things that you can't handle so he can show himself strong in your own weakness. Okay? And so that's just a worldly saying. It's a deceptive saying that causes you to just stay in your own self, little strength that is not even strong enough to do much of anything in the kingdom of God. The kingdom, the kingdom of life, team life, requires the power of God. And we live that way, right? According to the riches of the God's power that mightily works within us and there's so many ways god likes to show up with how he wants to give you his strength he'll do it in a ton of different ways you know when he healed blind people when he was on earth he did that like 10 different ways right he doesn't do things the same way every time it's not a formula you follow you just reach into the power of christ and you let him show up and do what he does best i've already shared with you how i've been just accessing god's power this these last few months through the power of communion. And I'm so, you know, energized for learning more and more about that. And I hope some of you are taking time to just even step into that some yourself, just on your own, utilizing that communion station that we've had set up through the weekend. One of the things, this is the last one I'm going to share if we close out, that God showed me about communion. It was one of the very first things. and is a story of how God shows up in power. So I had been taking communion for about a week at home on my own, just getting used to this. It felt very awkward, felt very different, but I was really starting to settle into it and just really seeing God show up and, you know, make a connection for me with the gospel and just some neat things that happened that week. And it just so happened that, well, not just so happened, God's you know, provision. But that Saturday, because we go to church on Saturday night, our church shares space with another church, so that Saturday come to church, it was communion night at our church. We do communion once a month. And I was a little like, ooh, I don't know how this is going to feel, because like I've been doing communion all by myself, you know, for a week. And even though I've done that so many times in my life, I was just like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be like. So we walk up to get the communion, the bread, and the wine, and we bring it back, and we come to our seats and have a moment by ourselves. And as I was... Coming into the pew to sit down, the Holy Spirit just said, I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. And so I sat down and began to start to take the communion. And this whole revelation of communion from, um, from the Garden of Eden just flew into my heart. Something I'd never thought of before. And God showed me that when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it cut off access for them for the tree of life. So they no longer had that. And from then on, that access to the tree of life was cut off until Christ came. But God was showing me. He said, you know, Jesus said many times in scripture, long before he ever told them about the communion practice. He said several times. He said, you're going to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. In fact, in John chapter 6, and you know, all this is flooding my mind, John chapter 6 Jesus told that to a bunch of disciples, and all of them, it says, they all left, they were like, that's too hard of a teaching, and they stopped following him, just mainly the disciples kept on, and you know, a few stragglers, whatever, that's when they exited, because they didn't know what to do with that, like, that sounded like cannibalism, right, you know, and so they were like, this is crazy, we're out of here, but Jesus had already told them, you're going to eat of my flesh, and drink of my blood, that's going to be true food for you. And then later, God, uh, Jesus himself spoke of himself as being the, the, um, the vine and we are the branches. So he is like a tree. And God began to show me, he said, what was cut off in the garden? Eating of this meal of communion has become access to you, to the tree of life again. You have full on access to the tree of life. You can go there as much as you want. What did God tell them in the garden? He said, you can eat of this freely all day long, as much as you want. And God said to me, you can eat of my blood and drink of my flesh freely all day long. It is tree of life for you, Sharon. God just dropped that in my heart. Never thought of that before. The power, the power he he gives, and he'll do it in a myriad of different ways. All kinds of stories, and all of us should have tons of stories to tell of victory after victory after victory, of God showing up with power in our positions that we fill and we handle them well. There's power available to us. Oh, God, thank you for the ways that you created us all so different with purposes and plans in your mind for our lives to fulfill through us. You could have done all of this on your own, God, and yet you you call us into these positions because you see value in us and you see purpose in us and you see strength in us way beyond what we can see about ourselves. God, strengthen our minds to think like Christ. Strengthen our emotions to begin to feel like Christ. God, strengthen our wills to begin to move and live and have our being in your power. God, there's so much life to be affected in us and through us as we are your team, your daughters, fulfilling the roles that you have for us. Lord Jesus, let us rise up. Let our faith be resurrected this weekend to know that we belong to you, and you've got everything laid out if we'll just walk in it and establish our feet in it, God. Establish the work of our hands. Bless our minds. Bless our emotions. Bless our wills. Resurrect them, God. We call out to you for these positions you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Praise amen. the Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll have probably a 15-minute break with some snacks out. And then we're going to come back for craft. Make sure you have your notes, because kind of what we're going to be talking about individually (coughs) uh, is this idea of positions in our lives. Um, So we're going to sit right where we sat yesterday.